I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Jen. She has bipolar. Let's talk about it. Well, this will be a treat. We're sitting down with Jen Kish, uh, who is a coach on Canada's Ultimate Challenge. You guys might remember recently we spoke to Chris, who was a competitor on the challenge. We Hell did, yeah. Um, and uh, for folks who aren't familiar, Canada's Ultimate Challenge is a competition reality format that turns the entire country of Canada into a giant obstacle course. Um, and they brought together six amazing coaches that are going to guide and mentor teams of everyday Canadians on uh, site-specific physical challenges <laughs> in a unique competition structure. And uh, I, I mean, to be sitting with one of the coaches is very exciting. Jen, uh, a, a, I mean, awesome that you're coaching. Uh, you know, we've, we've got a former captain of Canada's Olympic bronze medal winning rugby team. Um, which is badass, to say the least. Fuck yeah. Uh, Jen uh, also is uh, someone who has been diagnosed with bipolar, uh, which is a great fit for this show because we're all about talking about mental health on this episode mm-hmm. or on this, on this podcast. So, Jen, uh, first of all, welcome. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule to sit with us. Uh, why don't you take a moment to introduce yourself to our listeners? Who is Jen Kish? Oh my gosh, what a loaded question. <laughs> Three <laughs> words or less. Yeah. <laughs> Three words or less. And I hope to gosh you guys cannot hear my dog barking in the background. <laughs> That's okay. Like, That's okay. Trying to tell you guys who I am. Um, who is Jen Kish? Uh, you know, I played professional sport for 13 years. Um, I had the privilege to lead the uh, Rugby King Women's Sevens Team to Olympic bronze medal, which was like the first ever um, to be done. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I, I put all of my own, uh, I, you know, struggles into sport and, um, you know, I was a couple years ago, I was diagnosed with bipolar. Um, and I was like, what is that? Mm. That sounds like a bag of fun. Um, <laughs> are we talking, are we talking bipolar one, bipolar two? Yeah. So there's, there's one and two and, uh, bi- bipolar, uh, two, um, which I still don't fully really understand, you know, what these, uh, what, what, what it is, you know, you, you kind of go into, uh, you go talk to somebody and you're like, okay, I'm feeling crazy. And they're like, Oh, mm. tell me about that. And, you know? And it's like, you tell them, you know, like when I was playing rugby, like, they're like, are you in pain? Like, are you emotionally suffering? And you're like, yes, 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 yes. Like, <laughs> and it, and it could be just from like all these, you know, stress factors. And, and, you know, when I retired, I was still feeling like really crazy. And so I was like, I need to talk to somebody like, yeah. um, you know, I'm, I'm feeling, I'm not feeling normal. And everybody else around me is like, you're fine. You're fine. You know, it's yeah. just stress, you know, it's just lack of sleep and all this stuff. And, uh, um, you know, they're like you, they, they're asking me what my symptoms are and, and, you know, how I view the world and all this in-depth shit. And yeah. I was like, yeah, I was like, they're like, yeah, you have bipolar type two. And I was like, okay. And then for, they kind of sent out uh, the door. For people who aren't aware. Um, and we've talked about bipolar a few times on the show in the past. And, um, from what I gather, I'm, I'm on uh, BetterHelp's website right now. Uh, <laughs> according to BetterHelp, uh, uh, bipolar one is uh, uh, to diagnose someone with bipolar one. All the doctors need to know is that you have had least had at least one manic period lasting more than one week. Although most people with bipolar one disorder have episodes of mania and depression, the depression is not needed to make the diagnosis. However. There are certain symptoms that one has ha- uh, has to have to be considered manic, and these include one of at least 
three of these symptoms, increased risky behavior, such as rugby. Um, it doesn't say that. Increase in energy levels, um, racing thoughts, and happier than usual. Uh, the photo that they have to go along with this is, uh, is, pretty, oh, wow. is pretty hilarious. Uh, a, person looks, a, a guy looks really happy. Ecstatic. Um, they also have uh, increased talkativeness, grandiosity, hallucinations, psychotic episodes, poor impulse control. Um, however, there are other signs that are important to know that will help differentiate the two disorders. For example, those with bipolar one should also have at least one of the, uh, at least three of the following symptoms, irritable or aggressive, lack of need for sleep, higher than normal self-esteem, lack of attention and inability to coordinate or make decisions. Now, bipolar two, uh, you'll have at least one hypomanic period as well as a severe depressive period that lasts at least 14 days. And these are distinct differences between mania and hypomania. But the main difference is that hypomania is milder, uh, a milder, milder form of mania. So those who ha- are living with bipolar 2 hypomania typically are still able to function at work and in social situations. Uh, those with hypomania do not have psychotic episodes or hallucinations, in addition, some individuals with bipolar one disorder may have hypomania, which often, well, which while others may get only once or twice, another difference is that the symptoms of hypomania last at least four days, but are shorter than mania symptoms. Jen, Jen do these sound like blurry, like blurry <laughs> ass yeah. lines? Like, I, I feel <laughs> like I'm in front of my therapist right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, this episode is not brought to you by BetterHelp, yeah, but BetterHelp.com uh, if you need help. Um, it seems like, like when, I, like when. I, I mean, I've I've had I've had, I've heard people to kind of describe. Um, I'm, I've I've mostly heard people describe to me how bipolar one or two was described to them. Um, but like when like I <laughs> but when I hear that when I hear it kind of like written out like that from this like you know like source, it sounds so blurry. It doesn't sound. It doesn't sound like concrete. At all, it's kind of like ah, like fourteen days. It's like, what if it was twelve days? You know, like what you know. Like, it also it also sounds like you know. It also sounds like I mean, you know, I can tick off a lot of those boxes. You know, my thoughts are racing a lot. I have increased in energy levels a lot. Um, increased risky behavior. I mean, sure, like I've been there. Happier than usual. Sometimes, you know, like I'm not maybe not as happy as this guy. Um, but you know, Jen, um, you said something, you said something in your, um, when you were kind of describing, um, getting your diagnosis there that I'm interested in, which, which was, it seemed, it seemed like when you were describing that, that you mentioned when you retired, it was Mm. like, did this kind of all come on for you post retirement? Was it something that you in hindsight, feel like you were dealing with while you were playing sport, but maybe, but like, was your sport sort of mitigating some of the, some of the things that were going on? Like how how does, how does your like sport and like retirement um, play into your experience with bipolar? I mean, that's a great question. Cause I mean, you're going to see like a lot of athletes who probably are in similar situations. Um, You know, when you're put into a professional environment and you're training six days a week, eight hours a day and, you're constantly under a microscope, like that's going to bring some feelings up that you may not have experienced before prior to entering that professional environment. And it, you know, this was something that I've been struggling since I was 18, except, you know, there's from like, from my knowledge anyways, you know, when I go back mm. to, you know, when you have to go back to be like, when did this start? You're like, Oh my God, like, I don't know, let's just pick 18 because that's, you know, where my memory kind of kicks yeah. in. But you know, and I've been playing sport for a very long time. And, um, I think being in a professional environment, uh, like the one that I was in, it was definitely, um, bringing certain, uh, I guess, symptoms out in me that, you know, I grew to recognize. Um, but the same time, because I'm in a stressful environment, you know, you have people around you, your sports psych and your coaches and your teammates being like, yeah, I feel that way too. Or yeah, that's Mm. normal. You know, it's stressful or, um, you know, what isn't normal is that you want to like drive your car into the tree on your way home. Like, you know, unless you're saying that to somebody, you know, everything else that you're saying, they're like, "Eh, yeah, it's, it's, it's because of this and this and this. And, um, so I was struggling deeply within the program. Um, and then once I retired, like the distraction, you know, like when you have like Mm. this goal of going to the Olympics, um, you, it's this ability to, to put 
you know, your problems off to the side for a second. Um, cause you're so f- focused in on the, the goal at hand. And once I retired, I, you know, I no longer had that distraction. I, I was left there with no sponsors. You know, I, 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 all my sponsors dropped me because I, you know, retired early. Um, I had no more outlet. So I was kind of like in this, like no man's land of space of like, uh, just sitting in a room by myself to the point where I'm like, wow, it's rugby wasn't what was causing this. It was, you know, something else. And my wife was like, you know, we, we should go figure this out because, you know, it's, it's no way to live, you know, like, let's just, you know, let's go talk to somebody. And I, and, you know, as I started to talk to somebody, um, I just was like, what, what is happening? You know, like, what do I have? And I, and I thought that by getting some sort of diagnosis would make me stop feeling crazy and go to those people who are like, you're fine. You're fine. I'm like, I wasn't fucking fine. Like, you know, like I told you guys I wasn't and you minimized it. Not everybody, but I'm just saying like, you know, it it does get minimized because people either don't want to hear about it. They don't know about it. They don't want to explore it. They're not interested in it. What, for whatever reason. Um, and, but when I got this diagnosis, it kind of was just like, wow, I'm way more confused now than ever. Um, Mm. but at the same time felt like, okay, like this is something I battle with on the daily and it can be managed with the proper help. Um, and, and finding new outlets, uh, to put my energies into. Um, so yeah, it was, you know, I, I find like when you have, like, I got hyper-focused on rugby, you Mm. know, and, you know, they're like, are you agitated? Are you stressed? Like, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) And like, and and that's like, and, and, and that, and like, it's interesting just to kind of like hear you describe, it's, it's almost like the sport, like sport, whatever sport for anybody, I think who, who is, who is, who is dealing with, um, like mental health issues that they need to, you know, pay attention to like sport or a hyper focus can kind of be, it can be like your friend and your enemy at the same time. Like it can be causing issues and it could be mending issues like almost simultaneously. It's like you take it away and, it, and more issues come up, but also pursuing it and, and sticking with it is also causing issues. Like it's a very, it seems like a very hard balance to strike or maybe it may be an impossible balance. (laughs) Yeah. Like sometimes it can act as a blanket, right? Like it can just shield you from, from what's going on or um, it can expose what's going Mm -hmm. on. And, you know, like when we were filming Ken's ultimate challenge, um, you know, you have, you know, there's six of us coaches and um, 24 contestants um, or players, sorry. Um, who have different personalities and different ways of thinking and and different struggles. And you put them all in one environment. It really brought me back to rugby. Like, like, here we go. Like this is (laughs) season one. This is going to be epic. And it was, you know, uh, the stress um, of competing against, you know, other people and, uh, you know, what was on the line for, you know, these players of wanting to win and making the most out of their opportunity there on the show. Like, it brought out some demons for some, it exposed, you know, um, them in ways that they weren't, um, you know, uh, you know, they weren't prepared for. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was, it was really interesting, but yeah, that, that entirely, I was like, this is centralization at its best yeah. <laughs> like with rugby. Yeah. Jen was, was Chris on your team? There's, Chris, so sorry, there is two Chrises. What, what's his last name? Chris C. Chris uh, uh, Cedar, 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 Cedar Strand. No, no, I love that guy though. He's awesome. Yeah. He got, cool. got any hot gossip? Because like, <laughs> love, yeah. we'd love, we'd love yeah, it. His yeah. episode's coming out soon, so we want to like uh, get that out. Also, <laughs> also isn't, he, isn't he like a Marvel character? I mean, that He's guy, kinda, yeah, like, that's <laughs> his Buzz Lightyear He's with like, no legs. Like, is he as gigantic in real life as he looked on Zoom? <laughs> oh, on I thought he was going to break me through the screen. (laughs) Oh, he's, you know, he's strong. I I really uh, love watching him compete because, Mm. you know, he, he's, uh, he's not very loud, but you Mm. can tell when he walks into a room, you know, with his presence and, and what he stands for. And, um, I just, I really adored him. And and if I could have had him on my team, I definitely would have because, uh, 
He was. You a can try. You can trash yeah. talk him if you want to. He's like a gentle. I mean, giant, he wasn't on your team, so like it's yeah. totally fair. <laughs> I know, but he's such a good person. I just can't. I wanted to. I wanted to ask you to like come back to your your story of like of, of getting this diagnosis and then that sort of being ultimately more confusing than you may have felt before. Um, like going into the doctor's office and, and, and talking to someone, like what type of symptoms were you experiencing mm. at the time that like really told you that something was off or something was up? Yeah. I, you know, suicidal ideation is like one of the big things, you know, I think there's, I don't want to speak for everyone, but for, for the most part, when I talk to people about stuff like this, they're like, yeah, I've always, you know, the thought has come across my brain, but I've never, you know, wanted to act on it. And I think, you know, not to normalize that, like we've <laughs> all gone through struggles where you're like, oh my gosh, like, am I going to survive this? Um, but it was just that I really didn't see a point in living anymore. And mm. that's really scary because like when you take away the one thing that I love, which was rugby you know, I love my wife too. Um, but still wanting to not be here, like that was really concerning and, um, you feeling broken, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I, and I had that one person in my life, my wife who was like, okay, like supporting me and going to get help because, Mm -hmm. you know, I really do believe if I didn't get help, I don't know if I'd be here, you know? And it's, it's such a scary thing to say, um, because, you know, when we see people, um, take their own life and we're all shocked by it. You know, it's, it's, it's new to us, but it's, it's not new to them, you know, like that struggle, that deep, deep struggle. And, um, when you go into that office, like it's, it almost felt like, I felt like I was out of place to be honest. Um, when I walked in because it was, you know, people with like, um, other struggles of, you know, schizophrenia and, you know, you're, you're almost at like a, you're seeing a psychiatrist. So you're, you're in a psychiatrist hospital speaking to a doctor, which is, you know, it's, it's very, I don't know. It was, I, I really, I called my wife and I was like, I think I need to leave. Like, I, yeah. I don't think I should be here. Um, but then she's like, no, you do. And cause yeah. I'm like, I'm so well put together, you know, like I, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm so broken and the office was just intimidating and you know, they're where they're there with their notepad. And the whole time I'm like, I shouldn't be here. <laughs> like, yeah. I feel like that's like, kind of like the, the, like the thing with mental health issues, that's, that's so incredibly complicated and challenging as a, in, in comparison to something like a phys, like, you know, yeah. like, a, like you break something like a bone or something is like, you're broken and then you get better from it or you or it heals itself. Whereas like with mental health issues, it's like, it's like, you might be like, you might feel broken one day and then feel fixed the next day. Or mm-hmm. like you might go through a period of feeling broken and then feel not like that anymore. And like when I'm hearing you describe like being in the office and being like, I don't belong here. It's like, it's like, it's like, but maybe like the day before, or a couple of days before that, you're like, I need to be in the office. Like, or then you go home and you're like, oh, fuck. You're right. Like, you're <laughs> yeah. back there. Yeah. Like you come in and out of that space instead yeah. of being either in, of, in it or better. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. Well, you know, you, you made a good point. Like when we break a bone, like you can look at, you know, your arm and if your bone is sticking out of your skin and you're sitting in the emergency room in a hospital, you're like, I definitely need to be here. Like, that's <laughs> But you know, you're going into a, see a psychiatrist and you know, you don't see any wounds on the outside and you're sitting yeah. there, you know, and, and you forget like, or you try to minimize or talk yourself out of it. And you're like, actually, no, I, I am wounded. And, and I, even though I can't see it, and other people can't see it. Like I need to, I need help. And yeah. that, I think that's a really, the struggle with mental health is you nailed it. It's like, you know, there's moments where you feel okay. And like hour to hour it could be, yeah. you know, you know, it's like I, I, you could go ahead. Sorry. I was, I just wanted to ask too, about like getting there to the hospital. Um, you, you've like, you've been mentioning your wife and how supportive she's been up and, uh, at this point, but I also, imagine it to be a really difficult thing to tell anybody in your life, um, especially sometimes the people that are closest to you about the thoughts that are going on in your head and the things that you're, you're experiencing. And so like, even to get to that point, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to who have, who, who may struggle with similar situations and feel like they don't have anybody to talk to. Um, what was it like, 
like bringing that up <laughs> to your wife the first time and like, or what did that look like? Um, you know, she was just recognizing, you know, the depression in me before I was, I was just trying to like cover it up. Like I did with my rugby, you know, I was trying to build things, whatever, like trying to stay busy. And she's like, you're not okay. Um, so telling my wife of like, you're right. Like there's some days where I just don't want to live. Like she didn't take it personally. She's just like, I'm not surprised, you know, like Mm. I can see you deeply struggling and that's somebody, you know, who really truly loves me and sees me for me. And, um, but telling other people around me, you know, um, like my family members, you know, some of them just didn't even want to hear it. Like some, some people just don't want to have that conversation with you. Um, I don't know if it's because it's too real for them or they take it personally, like it's their fault or they didn't do enough or whatever it is, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, um, same with some friends. Um, it, it is a really hard thing to have a, co- like a conversation like that with somebody and say, you know, there's some days where I just don't want to be here. Um, because I don't know how often someone says that yeah. out loud. Yeah. And they don't know what to say. Yeah. I, I, I know I know that like with bipolar, um, you know, my 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 father-in-law had had bipolar. Um, and one of the things that I've noticed from being around him was that his illness uh tended to kind of get in the way of a lot of his relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that that's kind of a common occurrence for a lot of people who live with things like bipolar. Um, how, you know, did you notice that growing up? Like, did you notice your, your mental health leading to, um, leading to issues in relationships of the people that were close to you in your life? I mean, back then you have no idea, you know, mm-hmm. you just kind of think everybody else is the problem. Um, but in hindsight, when you look back after, you know, I've done a lot of growing in this process and looking back, like, you know, I have ruined so many relationships in my life, um, because of, you know, this, because of bipolar, being bipolar, not really recognizing when you're in a state of depression or when you're pushing people away or, Mm. you know, things that are just toxic in a relationship. And, when people don't, you know, it's just a couple of years ago where, you know, people know now that I have this diagnosis, but prior, like, they're just like, you're mean, you know, you're just mean and you're not compassionate. And and it's just like, but I am like, I am compassionate. What are you talking about? And you just have like, you know, I had such a false sense of reality. And, um, now, you know, people in my life who know that I struggle with this, leave more space for, mm. for that. Um, you know, cause you, sometimes you can't help it. Like sometimes you just, you, you can't really change how you feel. Um, and you try to like not say things that hurt people. Um, and you're human and humans are messy. Um, but it, it definitely like having this diagnosis has definitely given me more space, um, with the people in my life as they're like, okay, I understand what's going on here. Okay. And they, you know, they're, are definitely a lot more supportive other than just seeing me like an asshole, you know, like I, when you're really sad and depressed, like you, you get caught up in your own world and you don't, you don't really care about anybody else, even though you deep down they do. Um, so it is a, it's a really, you know, I, I'd recommend anybody who's struggling with, uh, bipolar to, you know, at least have that, try to get that one person in your life who can recognize what's going on because they're going to recognize it before you. Like, mm. ultimately, like, I don't know when I'm being a certain way unless my wife is like, oh, okay, like, I'm, yeah. there's a change. Mm. And I'm like, oh, shit, okay, so now I have to go to my toolbox and be like, okay, this is how I'm going to manage it and, and and so forth. So, and what's, yeah, the, I, oh, sorry, I just, sorry, I thought you were, I thought you were finished there. Keep going. No, I'm, 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 I'm done. Yeah. Um, I'm, and how, on that same kind of line, kind of transitioning into, into from like, like the relationships that you have, like, in your life. And then into sport and like the relationships that you carry with like teammates and, and then in your, and then in your scenario being like a captain, like I, I played, I played hockey at a high level. Like I have a pretty good framework for like, like what the role of a captain is mm-hmm. and like how a captain sort of is this sort of like heartbeat to a team. And like when things are hard, which they often are, <laughs> there is like, there is a, 
you know, you you are a guiding hand and a guiding force for everybody else. Like, and and I'm I say this in quotation marks. Like, how does how does having and living with bipolar and being a captain of a team that has to face like all these hardships and you have like a responsibility? How do those two things jive together? Obviously, they do. But I feel like there. I feel like it wouldn't be obvious as to how those two things go together. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I guess when you put it that way, it almost seems impossible. Um, <laughs> because you know, like, like you're right. Like you're the lighthouse, um, for your teammates, like leading them, leading, you know, leading, leading the way. Um, and yet you did I, it. <laughs> and, and yet I did it. And you know, it's, I've never really put a lot of thought into that with like this, you know, this, the struggle that I have and then how did I lead this team? But, you know, growing up, sport has always been an outlet for me. So I love, you know, I grew up in a very chaotic home, unstable. It, it was really tough and sport, you know, I, I was able to like, for some, some reason, like my world could blow up. I could lose all my money and et cetera. But as soon as I'm like on the rugby field or playing some sort of sport, it's like, I switch, it's like a right. switch in me. And I end up being this, this person that like, can lead and, mm. um, give good advice and not let my emotion take over. Um, I think that started at a very young age. So when I, you know, growing up, um, and having to lead like an Olympic team, you know, at the Olympics, it's like, I was, it was already ingrained in me in, in how to show up, you know, obviously I did a lot of leadership books and, and et cetera, but in terms of my moods and my emotions, like that was always my safe space. It, I would naturally just felt grounded. It was like my medication. Um, and, and when I, you know, lost the rugby, you know, I, I lost my medication and then I don't know, you know, I didn't know how to handle what I was experiencing, but for the most part as a leader, like, you know, I always said like lead from the back. Um, you're going to see a lot more when you lead from the back than the front. Um, and I, I basically, you know, I just, I led by example and, and had this intensity of like, um, I will go to war with you guys, you know, mm -hmm. and, and people respected that and they followed that. And, you know, there, there were times where, you know, I was a little bit harsh, but in general, I, I think I'm just like a very direct, harsh person. Mm. Um, so it's just like, they knew what they were <laughs> going to get from me. And, um, there's always a, a respect, you know, and I always said that one of the things is like, I, don't, you know, don't take my tone, take the message. You know, I I'm coming from a good place and I want you to succeed. I want the team to succeed. And I, I'm not always good with my words. And so, you know, I always, I was always open and honest about my intentions. And as long as my teammates knew what my intentions were, it didn't so much matter how I came across, um, because I, I meant well. And, mm -hmm. but yeah, when you think about bipolar and being a leader, it's like, man, that seems really like unstable in that sense of, you know, like, am I showing up one day as a, an asshole and the next as like a not a non-motivator, you know, it wasn't like that for me. I, it's pretty fortunate. I mean, I, I mean, I asked that and I want to hand it over to you, Brad, but I did ask that because I know that you can be both. Like I, oh, well, yeah. I, you know, like I know, and I know that from talking to people with mental health issues, like it's, it's not, their absolute defining characteristic. Like it's not the thing that dominates everything that you do. And I think it's, I think it's really helpful and valuable for people to, to, for, to hear what you, to hear exactly what you just said. And like to, to know that it's like, it's not, it's not all you are. It's a piece of you and you can, and you can, you can do whatever in the face <laughs> of, in the face well, of having to deal with that, that challenge. Yeah. It can be managed. Right. <laughs> and you just have to figure out how to manage what's going on. In my case, during my leadership on that team, like I had no idea what I was dealing with, but mm. I also, you know, like I said, I use rugby was my medicine. It it's what calmed me. It's what centered me. Um, and, and I was, you know, I, I was really lucky that way. Some people don't have that where they do need the medication in order to be effective leaders and, all that stuff. And, and that's okay too. It just, for me, um, I was able to use rugby as a medicine during that time to be an effective leader. Yeah. I, I think one thing that it sort of, um, 
like your experience confirms and and I think of my my boss in in another company that I work for he suffers from complex PTSD mm. and um and he's a like corporate strategist and he's always stood by the fact that he suffers incredibly from complex PTSD but it's never affected his ability to do his job and mm. I think that there's oftentimes like we we have this idea that mental illness means the fact that you have a mental illness means that you can't work or be a productive contributing member, member of society, of society yeah. which is fucking crazy because you can and it might and it might just mean that it's a lot harder for you to do that too and and like my personal experience to a much lesser ex- extent than yours like I'm I'm the captain of my rec league men's soccer team and I have days where I fucking Brian gets it. I <laughs> I have days when I, I have days when I'm struggling with depression or like having a really rough rough day. But I said this to the guys on my team: like my favorite thing in the world is being on the field playing soccer with them. And mm-hmm. when I'm playing soccer, I'm not like I'm not thinking about how sad I am, how shitty right. of a day I'm having, the way that this mental um, my mental health is is struggling. Uh, I'm struggling with it at that time. In fact, like it probably comes on like a ton of bricks when I get home, but like in that time yeah. that I'm there showing up, I'm I'm fully present and it's amazing and and really mm. fulfilling for me to be there <clears throat> in that place. So I I feel like I don't I don't know I, I like I'm just I I really identify with the fact that like or connect with the point that you're making of like you know you can suffer from mental illness and still show up and be fucking amazing mm. at mm-hmm. your job. Yeah. But also, it doesn't mean that it's not hard for you I mean, to do that. The, the presence same time. of the <laughs> presence, the presence of mind that that sport gives, even in the face of dealing with like some really heavy and complicated and challenging stuff, like that is what is so amazing about sport and exercise in in being able to be a um, kind of like a holistic treatment for mental mm-hmm. health struggles of like being able to have something that gives that to you. Um, like for you, Jen, when you stopped being, when you stopped rugby, like what became your rugby? Yeah. That was, that was the tough part. Like I still don't know, you know, and that's, that's the, the, the hard truth of it is like, you know, I, I thought I had it figured out. Like, and I, you know, when I retired, I was like, okay, I'm going to open my own business and I'm going to personal train and I'm going to be the best personal trainer in Canada. I'm going to, you know, I had, I'm going to own all these businesses. I had this whole thing mapped out. And then, you know, as I'm personal training, I really enjoy helping people and changing their lives. But then I started to being like, my life is going in a different direction. You know, I, I, I met my wife and, um, you know, she's, she's a singer, you know, and, and she's following her dream of, you know, um, you know, becoming massive within, you know, North America and, and to the <laughs> Europe and stuff. And she's climbing slowly. And, and, um, and I was like, Oh man, like I want to be there with you. Like I, I, I've completed my dream <clears throat> and I would love to, to follow you with yours because I know how important it is to have like a supporter, you know, you're like number one hype, hype fan or a girl or whatever, <laughs> you know, my, in my case, it was my dad. Um, but you know, with her, I'm like, I am your hype girl. Like I, I know how important (laughs) that is. And, and so I was like, you know, going on tour with her a lot more, which was taking me away from personal training. And then I was like, okay, I don't actually want to be a a, a personal trainer full time. I love helping people, but maybe there's like a different thing, like a different way that I can help people. And I used to do public speaking and, um, I kind of just like talked myself out of that, um, because I was like, who would want to listen to me? You know, mm-hmm. like I'm so boring, but then it's like my wife again, my, you know, my biggest champion in my corner going, you are so interesting. You, you know, if you want to help people, you should, you should use your voice. People will listen. You have stories, you have, you know, you have insight into things that some people don't know. And, and I was like, okay, so now I'm in a transition where I'm, I'm right now currently, uh, writing a book. Um, cool. yeah. And, and then also I'm, I'm going back into public speaking. I have a few engagements that are, that are booked into the summer. Um, and I obviously am pushing hard for, you know, mental health. Um, because I, I think like during this day and age with COVID you know, it, it really hit a lot of people hard. And, um, I still find a lot of people are trying to recover from that, you know, with the loss of a job or trying to, 
you know, you can't even afford a house these days, um, with what's going on with the economy. And, and so I, you know, I, I, I want to inspire people to like not lose hope. And also if you're <laughs> mentally struggling with something to not let it define you and, and how successful you can be. So mm. yeah, when you ask me what I do, I, I travel around with my wife and I do a little bit of everything. I, and I'm pretty fortunate to have that freedom. Rockstar I'm, lifestyle. I I'm, love it. Uh, <laughs> by the way, by the way, folks, Shawnee Kish is, uh, is Jen's wife and, uh, yeah. highly suggest you go check out her, uh, her music on YouTube. Um, uh, it's, it's cool. It, it's a, it's a, it's a cool scene. I like, I, I feel like, uh, you know, to be, to be following around someone who, who champions you so much and is also a champion mm-hmm. in their own right is just like, yeah. is really, really fucking cool. I, I'm, I'm curious about, um, like being in the, uh, Canadian Olympic system, like what types of supports are there for mm. athletes trying to transition out of these um, sporting careers afterwards. I know like I, I coached um, sprint canoeing. Uh, my girlfriend was on the Canadian national team at one point and has just gone through the phase of sort of transitioning out of sport. And it's like, it's an incredibly challenging thing when you dedicate your entire life to this thing and performing to represent your country. And then all mm-hmm. of a sudden you have to try to like go and find out a new way to live afterwards. And oftentimes, you know, with very, especially for like women in sport who oftentimes don't have the same yeah. opportunities to earn um, income <clears throat> through their sports. Mm-hmm. It's like very difficult to challenge in, uh, transition into a, a, a new career. What types of supports were there for you, if any? Um, okay. So, I mean, I was playing for Canada for 13 years. There's this thing called game plan that the COC, the Canadian Olympic committee, um, created it, it helps athletes transition from sport into life. Um, with, you know, cause you, you look at our resume and it's like, okay, list your jobs. And you're like, you don't have like, Oh, Arby's. I worked with Arby's or I, you know, I worked at this gym for four years. Like you don't, cause you spent, you know, I spent 13 years wearing the Canadian Jersey and I didn't, that was my full-time job. And, yeah. totally. um, some people don't respect that enough to hire you. Like you have to think an Olympic athlete, like if you have the opportunity to hire an Olympic athlete, fucking do it because guess what they're committed they're punctual mm. their teamwork like, i mean like we, were, we were just talking about that with chris the yeah other day. you I, know it's like when we had chris on i was yeah. i there was a program i'm like an avid cyclist and there's a there's a retired um recently retired pro who is um i heard on commentary one day talking about how goldman sachs has a program where they mm. the whole program's um purpose is to hire like ex ex pro athletes mm. regardless of whether what they're what the technical skill set is in like investment banking or whatever they want them to do at Goldman yeah, Sachs. They can learn anything. Because they can <laughs> learn anything because of they've like demonstrated that they are like the like they're at the pinnacle of being able to learn. Well they're like adaptable. Um, you know, they they're problem solvers. They're not quitters. Like Olympic athletes, like I it baffles me when, you know, some of my teammates are like, man, I can't get a job. And I'm like, you're an Olympic athlete what do you mean you can't get a job? But then, you know, it's just like how you see it. You, you go to somebody and you start saying, well, like it's, do you want to work for somebody who doesn't value those things? To be honest, you know, like that someone is punctual mm-hmm. and hardworking and committed and dedicated and problem solving. Like, are they just looking for a resume with you going to school and that you've completed a course so you can retain knowledge? Good job. But can you mm-hmm. actually apply, you mm-hmm. know, what it takes to be successful in a team environment? And, you know, and I, and I, so it, it, it really does baffle me when, you know, here we are like Olympic athletes as one of the prime people to have a job in any company and, and companies are overlooking that being like, ah, you, you're not missing this degree. And it's like, man, I can, I can learn a 30 page playbook in an hour. Like, what are you talking about? It doesn't even like, it doesn't even compute. Like it's so, it's so wildly illogical that I, it, it, it it starts to tr- turn my brain mm. to mush because it's like totally. so many of the things that are that are own that someone can only learn if they've been doing something from like the like when they were young. Human, and, ex- 
Yeah. Human experience is everything. Like if there's one thing, like you have to think like people aren't like, yes. Like, I mean, to be a doctor, obviously you need knowledge and you need the degrees and whatever, but like, ultimately you're not really learning until you're learning hands-on human experience. That's what's your, that's what you're really going to remember is like, you know, how to do something. And, and I, I find that like human experience outweighs mm. any degree out there. There's mm. so many things that just need that, that where like the underlying life skills are like 98% of it. And the other 2% is like the actual <laughs> thing that you're doing. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm curious, like with game plan to come back to that transition period, I'm imagining that, uh, and like, you know, through my own personal experience with my, with my partner, and watching her go through this, I know that like your mental health during that transition is is an important part to manage. Um, and I'm curious, like with game plan, other than like trying to help transition you to a you know whatever that next career is, is there supports for your mental health along the way too? You know, I, I got to be honest, like I really never looked into game plan. Um, it's something that you have to do as an individual to like seek the help that you need. Um, I'm sure there's probably something in there with regards to the, the psyche. Um, I, but ultimately, you know, I feel as though like the COC has left it up to the athlete's hands to seek the help that they need, you know, Mm. where it would be more beneficial for athletes to have almost like a handbook of like, okay, you, thank you for your, you know, your service and for representing Canada, Um, so now here are your next steps. Like, do you have a job lined up? No, you don't. Okay. So here's who's (coughs) hiring. What are you interested in? And and again, like I'm sure game plan has developed since the last time I ever looked at it, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, like years ago. Um, but it, it definitely, I I felt when I retired, like very unsupported, Mm, you know, and, and I had to find my own, my own people, um, in terms of a therapist and rehab and, you know, you don't, uh, again, this could have changed, but during, when I was playing, like you had to pay for your own rehab once you were finished playing for Canada, like that was no longer funded. And it's like, you, you go into the, there's this joke is like you, you go into this program, you know, uh, put together like Humpty Dumpty and then Mm. you leave the program fucking broken and you're left to put your, your pieces back together yourself. And, and a lot of people don't know that about the, you know, Canadian athletes, like it's, it's so sad. And and not to mention, yeah, not to mention your, you know, your sport in particular, you know, like, yeah, like we're talking about rugby, whereas you, you look at like the rehab that's not talking about practice. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You you know, you you look at like a a canoe kayaker and like the rehab that they're going to need versus someone who's played, you know, rugby for their whole life. Like, Dude, Jen, I, I just want to say, That's I just crazy. have to bring this up because this is the perfect opportunity. Um, did you play at the uh, Dubai Rugby Sevens tournament? Mm-hmm. I, yes. I, so I used to live in Dubai and I went a bunch of times and watched. I'm sure I've seen you you play yeah. there um, years ago. But but I played in the social um, oh, tournament yeah. one year with some, mm-hmm. some friends and I'd never yeah. played rugby before. Left without a scratch. I played one game and I I played one game and I tore my quad in three places from being hit. The, my first time playing yeah. rugby ever in sevens. I had a full leg I'm cast sorry, for three months. Oh my God, Brian. I didn't know that. You didn't know this? Holy shit. Well, I should tore your quad, but and, I didn't know it was the full cast. For a year, for wow. a year, I couldn't fucking use my leg. Oh my God, and so like dude. my... The level of respect that yeah. I have for rugby players, particularly rugby sevens, because yeah. it's just such a fast, it's so intense, fast fucking game. Yeah, I like it's it's my favorite thing yeah. to like watch in terms of like human athletic feats. Of it. I just think it's so impressive. Yeah. And so I yeah, well, for what it's worth, I just wanted to say like it's fucking cool what you I, what you did. I, I you. think that, I think this will be a good transition into speaking about uh, what you did, Jen, back in May of 2018. So. Um, in case you guys don't know, in, in May of 2018, uh, Jen was a part of a group of four female athletes, including Cassie Campbell, Fran Ryder, Karen Lee Gartner, um, and they all publicly pledged their brain to a Canadian Mm. research center, um, where the posthumous donation of their brain will be made to Toronto Western Hospital, uh, their Canadian concussion center to further the research on the effects of trauma on women's brains. Mm-hmm. Um, are those other women all uh, rugby players as well? 
Oh no, God no. Uh Haley Wickenheiser. Yeah, one's a down downhill skier. Uh uh, there's hockey. Um mm-hmm. and ooh, I don't know the other sport. Um sure. But uh basically there's not, you know, there's there's actually zero research on concussions with women. Like all the brains that get donated are men. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um so all the concussion information that we have are, you know generalized around men's brains and um so you know i i got a call asking you know would you be interested in this and i said absolutely because you know i i struggle with a lot of concussions i've gotten a lot of concussions through my playing days and you know that's also something that i struggle with on the daily on top of this you know bipolar and um i i i really want there to be more education for women in sport um yeah because you know it it's it, it should be equal to be honest you know like women play just as hard as men do um put as just as many as as many hours of work into their sport as men do and um so there should be the same amount of research and i i believe if you know you gave the chance for more women to donate their brains they would be like um um all like, yeah I'm yeah, for totally. it. I you mean, there, there's, it, it's pretty wild. Like I, I was quickly looking up like how traumatic brain injuries can uh, affect mental health. And uh, mm-hmm. one study said that head injuries have been shown to increase the likelihood of being diagnosed with mental illness by up to 439%. Uh, mm-hmm. Most people will develop symptoms of mental illness within a year of the injury, but still an, uh, uh, there's still an increased risk for up to 15 years. In 2014, there was a study, uh, researchers found that people with TBI, uh, traumatic brain injury, were 28 times more likely to be diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And this was especially Mm -hmm. true when the head trauma occurred between the ages of 11 and 15. Um, It is hypothesized that TBI causes inflammation in the brain, which can trigger problems with mental health. Um, Which, you know, again, like speaking to uh, someone who played rugby, like that's well, even, I mean, even if we go back further, I played football with boys, you know, at, mm. at, uh, 13 years old, you know, I was playing oh. bantam football and then I played football in high school with my brother and <clears throat> man, the amount of times that I had my like bell rang, you know, yeah. like, which are concussions by the way, but like, <laughs> yeah, the yeah. Ones that, like <laughs> you say, Oh, I, I saw, I saw stars. You're like, yeah, that's a fucking concussion. And yeah. you're like, you just get up and you keep playing. Right. And I think, you know, I, you know, I do believe that I, I don't know where, when, how my diagnosis came, but I do know that like I've sustained many concussions and from a young age, from, you know, 12, 13 years old, playing football, memory, like, like actually remembering, you know, seeing black and then getting up and getting hit again. Um, you know, cause back in the day, they didn't really teach you how to tackle properly, like mm-hmm. in football, you know, now you have rugby players going and teaching NFL teams how to properly tackle like don't do it with your head um (laughs) like use your shoulders use your legs um but yeah I I I definitely you know it it definitely is of concern with concussions and how it can alter your brain um especially you know sustaining head injuries at such a young age while your brain is still developing is is definitely a concern yeah favorite one-hit wonder or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have or that tv show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon now what if we could fix it i'm francesca ramsey and i'm delon grant and after 20 years of friendship we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called let me fix it each episode we'll dig into our favorite celebrities shows and brands of yesteryear and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today think of our show as an intervention but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. What's your take on 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 sport? On like contact sport? I grew like I grew up playing contact. I grew up playing hockey. Played till I was twenty. I love football. I love hockey. I love lamp. I love lamp. <laughs> I love. Uh, I love. I love. I love MMA. Like. I love all these things and, and inherent within all these sports are like our brain injuries and consequences due to brain injuries. And so, and, and like, 
my wife Kyla, I know she said to me a bunch of times about about watching MMA. She's like, "How do you do? Like, why do you watch? Why do you watch that? Like, when you, you when, when you know injuries? when you know that these that these people are mm. are just beating each other's heads in." And I'll and I'll go, "Well, how do you feel about football? How do you feel about hockey? How do you feel about soccer? How do you mm. feel about how do you feel about people taking a, a a a soccer ball off the head and changing?" you know, 180 degree direction with a ball that's coming in at 70 kilometers. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's not just the, it's not just the obvious sports that are providing head injuries. And so it's like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how. Is that I, your justification? Sorry? <laughs> no. Justification? no well, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like, so let me watch UFC. Um, but you know, like how, how do you, how do you feel about the, the, the sort of like inherent dilemma within head injuries and like playing sports and ha- and being able to like make your own choices as a person. Yeah. There's always that controversy of like, Oh, let's make hockey non-contact, you know, let's, but like, it's going to alter the sport, you know, like people who get involved in these sports know exactly, you know, that there's a potential to get hurt. But I, I offer the argument of, you know, you drink or you smoke or you, you do something that, affects your health and it may not do it instantly, (laughs) but it definitely 40, 50 years from now will have Mm. a massive impact on you. So, you know, like it just like pick your poison uh, at the end of the day. Like I I would never change a sport based off of the risk because that's what makes sports sport. It's, it's, it's what, you know, for me, like those big collisions in rugby is that's, that's what I fucking live for. You know, you, you take those out. I'm like, Oh, like, I'm just, what am I doing here? Like I, I would lose my interest in it. Um, You know, I I have no interest in getting hurt, um, but that is part of the game. And, and I find like, you know, parents, they're like, I, you know, I want my son to play football, but I don't like the contact. And it's like, well, I mean, if that's, if you explain to your son, you know, the risks of playing football, like, and he's okay with that, you know, then you got to support him in that. And I know that like kids at a young age, like, I mean, obviously at a young age, you know, in, in, us you have kids who are playing football you know like six seven years old with contact um and which you know a lot of people disagree with but at the same time it's just like and i don't know what a six or seven year old can really you know Mm. understand at that point um but it it is the sport you know i i i don't believe in changing the sport to make it um well, I would love to make it safer, but ultimately like impacts are impacts and that's what makes it exciting for fans and fans drive revenue and drives the world. So I, I don't know. Like, yeah. Mm. I mean, I, it's, it's like, it's like formula one race, r- race car yeah. driving, right? Like, like th- that is not two people inflicting pain on one another, unless like one guy drives his car into the other guy, but like the sport is risky as fuck. Like you yeah. can, you can crash the car and die, but it's not like yes. we're like, Oh, well let's just revert back to go-kart tracks and cap the cars at 30 kilometers an hour because we don't want to, you know, have anybody die in an accident. You try, you do what you can to make yeah. the sport safer. Of I think course, if, but like there's going to be risk yeah. when you do I think something at that level. Underlying it all is that, is that intersection of like, I do this because I love it. Mm. And, and I, and I understand. And yeah. like we, I don't, and although I agree, we need, we should, we should make sports as safe as they can be within the realm of what makes that sport what it is. But yeah. at the end of the day, people pe- like, you know, you have free will, you know, you have yeah. your, you make, you make choices as, as, as a human being because you are able to, and because you might be in love with something. Like if someone was telling me that I couldn't hit in hockey, Man, hockey's not you the same. Them. Hockey's not the should, same. Yeah, should, hit them. <laughs> should we remove fighting well, from hockey? <laughs> well, that's the, yeah, that's the other controversy is like, why does fighting? It's just like, man, again, it's part of the history of hockey. But it's like, it's just, I believe like if the knowledge is there and and if we keep practicing like, you know, like how to tackle properly, mm-hmm. if we instill safety within tackling then maybe we won't get as many concussions. Yeah. You know, it's it's just, it's how we're teaching it. We we have to teach the sport properly in order to make it safer, but you can't take those a- that like those aspects out of the game. It just changes the game entirely. Yeah. yeah. You know you know the- what else is like to, just the last point on this is like is like you know what what seem, might seem like a radical idea but probably isn't really that crazy is like if you teach people to be more compassionate humans off the field, oh, then maybe man, when I they go know. on the field, 
they won't be trying to hurt the other person and they'll be trying to tackle because, you know, taking somebody down so they don't score a touchdown is actually the objective rather than like, I just want to fucking get my anger out and cream this guy and send him into tomorrow or whatever. I think that that would be fantastic, but I think you're being a a titch idealistic. I'm just, I'm I'm just saying, (laughs) is that such a crazy idea to go, Oh, we got to try to make the sports safe in all these ways when it's like, Hey, we could just teach people to be better people. And then maybe we wouldn't have these problems. (laughs) Oh man, I don't know. But you know, like you look at someone like the, uh, like Luke Wilson, one of the coaches on Canada's ultimate challenge, you know, he's a super bowl champ out of Seattle. And, um, he's a nice guy, like off field, but on field, He's like that person you're talking about, you know, he's going to fucking kill you and make and squash you and try to hurt you. And I, and, and and you kind of think like, okay, like why do you do that? But it's an ego thing. It's like, who has the bigger ego and also coaches and his teammates like encourage that behavior. You know, it's a culture thing. And, and, um, I, I think if I, you know, if I were to say, Hey Luke, you know, just, you know, alter the way you play your game. I I feel like his intensity would not be the same. It's and like the Fran- way he- yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's like yeah. Francis Ngannou. You know, like you see that guy step into the octagon, and he is the scariest fucking human being you've ever seen in your life. And you see that guy outside the octagon, the and you're like, guy ever. Oh my god, what a teddy bear! Yeah, yeah. A, I mean, it's just it's just, and you can't, sweet and you just can't. Yeah, you you can't turn that dial down yeah. when you're playing when you're yeah. playing at the highest level. You you just like that dial can't be turned down. I never wanted to hurt anybody when I was hitting them, and like hitting was a big part of my it. my game. I never <laughs> wanted somebody to be. I never, and I'll say I say I never wanted somebody to be injured. I never wanted to injure anybody. Yeah, but. If I had to, if I had to, if I had to put a label on what I wanted to do, I wanted them to be as hurt as possible yeah. without them being <laughs> sustaining yeah. a life yeah. uh, you, career-ending injury. Yeah, you'd want them to remember you. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yeah. yeah. Exactly. You, know you know what's funny though is like when I when I say this idea, but like it's not such a radical idea. I'm thinking about like my rec men's league soccer, yeah. and there are guys on the field who are like who it's like they don't go to therapy so they go and play soccer mm. and then they mm-hmm. bully people on the field I hear what you're saying and yeah. they they're not skilled players they're not doing it because right. it's like it's tactically the right thing that, to do it's like hey you've got like deep seated anger issues mm-hmm. and you're not a professional athlete but you're coming to this place to to let that shit go on someone so else. we need rec like, league that's the fucking annoying we thing. need rec league <laughs> yeah. sports psych is what we need totally yeah. yes yeah. we need every <laughs> rec league team to have a sports psych <laughs> i gotta say like that's why i don't play club rugby like i mm. cannot i would love to play club rugby because it's fun but you know you have those people out there that mm. are the people you're talking about like they're out there to hurt you um totally. and you have yeah. no idea why you're just like what is wrong with you like why, yeah. like why are you playing this sport? You know? And so I totally feel you on that. And I, I definitely agree. Like those types of people who use, I mean, like I use sport as my outlet, but, uh, it, for me as a personal, like as a, as a personal outlet of, of my energy and, and even my anger, but it was never directed towards anyone. Yeah. Do you know me, what I'm saying? Yeah, so, yeah. totally. Yeah. I totally know what you're saying. Cause like I, I play, like I've always, I'm, I'm a, shorter guy like i'm a, a little Short guy and, and i've always played Short. like sports with a lot of intensity with this like idea that i have to prove myself when i'm on the field and and when i play rec league soccer i still play with that intensity but the difference is, is that like if i collide with somebody i don't get up and go oh fuck you fuck. like i'm gonna fucking kill mm. you or whatever it's like okay whoa we had a good battle there like yeah. um all right I, there's no there's no anger there's no malintent here and um, oftentimes, like, I rely on the ref to, like, police the game at a mm-hmm. level that allows for that intensity of play without getting out of hand. And mm-hmm. I find that more often than not, the ref is trying to keep some guy who doesn't go into therapy in check because he's a fucking angry, <laughs> a- angry old man on the field rather than, like, you know, this person who's playing with intensity but is actually also... Mm-hmm. Okay, at that level, yeah. you know, if that makes sense. You guys all share like suckers or lollipops after the game together. We should have mini sips, actually. <laughs> mini yeah, sips, yeah. mini sips. But, uh, <laughs> we mini should sips. definitely have mini sips. Jam, what was your uh, what was your gnarliest injury uh, through your career? Oh, guys. Um, okay. Well, 
I I have a lot. Um, you guys can tell me which one you feel as though is the <laughs> the worst. Um, okay. But two of my biggest ones. Um, I uh, landed on my neck. Like I got like tombstoned into the ground um, in 2015. So right before the Olympics, and I ended up getting uh, two uh, herniated discs. Um, I torn uh, like something torn in my neck um, and a, a massive concussion at the same time. So I, I actually thought like, Oh my gosh, I'm not going to go to the Olympics. Like I mm. severely fucked up my neck um, and still tried to play. Uh, but obviously we had a concussion protocol and, and cause I blacked out um, that they pulled me off and they wouldn't, you know, I failed the concussion uh, test three times and then I was ruled out of the tournament um, so now I, I currently deal with like disc degenerative. Um, so mm. I'm losing the space in my, my discs. Um, and I have two more tears and my discs are just are not healing. So I deal with that chronic neck injury on the daily. Um, and then, you know, the second biggest injury I think is I broke my hip, um, oh. in 2016, um, after the Olympics going into the 2017, um, uh, season, I ended up getting tackled by two girls and my hip blew right out of my socket. And then, so it sublexed and it, um, broke my pelvis and then it went back in and I still played. You're not even going to believe this. I got up, could not feel my leg. It felt like it was, it was dead. Like I was like, I always thought like, if you can't feel something, you know, when you wake up and your, your arm is numb and you're like, I can move it. Like I couldn't fucking move my leg. And I'm like, holy shit like I'm in trouble and I ended up getting up and I was in a lot of pain and and it just so happened to be you know the half time and my coach was like are you okay and I was like I I I just can't move my leg right now so just give me a second he's like okay well we're winning like don't worry about it sit out this one and it was the last game of the day and we're going into the semi or the quarterfinals the next day I wake up the next day right and I can't move my leg at all. And I go to my teammate and I'm like, I'm, I'm not fucking hurt. I'm injured. And she was like, Oh no, you never say that. And I was like, yeah. So we had, we had a, uh, uh, activation at seven in the morning. I'm barely walking. I still have no idea that my hip is broken and, oh. um, I'm popping pain meds like crazy. You know, it, we're playing at home in the stadium. Like, I'm just, I'm like, I have to be a part of this tournament, you know? And, um, I ended up playing all three games and then, um, my, my physiotherapist was like, ah, oh, you just pulled something. I'm like, yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. But <laughs> yeah, that's definitely like, what it is. <laughs> like you, you have x-ray yeah. vision. That's cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, I went home and four days later I was like, I have to go see my, my, uh, sport med doctor. Oh. And so I went and I walked in there and she's like, what's going on? I said, you know, my, my hip, like it hurts. And she's like, okay, well, I bet you just tore something like no big deal on MRI or res- MRI, um, results came back with an x-ray. And they, she said, actually you tore your labrum and you, you broke your pelvis. She's like, I don't know how oh, you're walking. Wow. And I was Whoa. like, Oh, well, fancy enough. I played three more games on it. Like how serious is this? And she's like, oddly enough, it's not displaced. Like basically, I don't know. I have such a tight butt that it like, that's amazing. Fuck yeah. I, I have no idea. I broke my pelvis in two places a few years ago and, oh, okay. uh, and I was like, Ouchie. baby, not Ouchie. getting off the ground. Yeah. <laughs> if, I, if I was to pick which one was the gnarlier one, I'm going to have to go with the hip. Uh, the, the de- degenerative disc uh, issue is like icky. That's like, oh, I don't like, I don't like spine stuff. But man, playing on a broken pelvis, I'm that's, go uh, pelvis. yeah, I'm going with that. That's, that's pretty nice. It's so uncomfortable. Like, it's so uncomfortable. Like, it's yeah. just because it's at the center. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, being yeah. tombstone, though, and knocked out <laughs> Dude, cold that's is uh, that's, pretty that's fucked bad. up. Yeah. So, I, if so you guys are going to both go with the second one, I'll go with the first. <laughs> Jen, uh, what would you say is the biggest thing that your experience with bipolar has taken away from you? probably healthy relationships, you know, um, the ability to, to have healthy relationships because, you know, I, I, you know, I'm still learning. Um, I'm still on a journey of like, what is a healthy relationship with friends and, Mm. and what are boundaries and all these things. Um, and, and I, 
I, it, it, bipolar affects the way I think, you know, um, yeah, especially in a heightened emotion, you know, whether it's, you mm. know, either I think like my world is ending or everything's like really fucking amazing. And, and it's just like, it's this inconsistency in being able to think, which affects, mm. you know, my, my friendships and my, my relationships. And, and I, that's probably, you know, what I would say that takes away from me the most, but it's, it's just learning to navigate through that. And then having people in your life who understand that and who are patient with you, um, mm. knowing that, like, again, it goes back to that broken bone. Like, you know, when you have a broken arm and someone sees a cast and they hit your arm, you know, and you have a response to that, they're going to be like, Oh yeah, right. You're, I can clearly see you're in pain because your arm is in a cast. Whereas with mental illness, you know, they, they can't see that that struggle and it, it's 24 seven, you know, mm. like whether it's on a level one or a level 10, like they'll see the level 10 because obviously you're doing bad shit, crazy things maybe. Um, but you know, you need, you need the people who like can see it always and, and not forget that you struggle with that. And but yeah, it's the relationships, you know, it's, I lost a lot of good people in my life because of not being able to manage those properly. Mm. Um, but some people aren't made to stay in your life, you know, um, you, you outgrow people. And I find like, as I'm growing, um, and learning how to manage, you know, bipolar and, and my experiences, like I've outgrown people at the same time and, and, you know, it's all full circle at the end of the day. What would you say is the biggest thing that it's given you? Self-awareness, I guess. Like, I, you know, it, I've been aware of not thinking I'm crazy um, and not thinking that I'm broken. Like, really uh, being able to sit in a room by yourself, you know, and, and um, not wanting to escape yourself, you know. So I know more about myself now because of that diagnosis than I did previous. And that's because I'm on this journey of healing and growing and managing, um, you know, my experiences as I, you know, as these episodes that I have happen. Well, Jen, uh, this has been a really, really awesome conversation. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule today to sit down and, and chat with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, you guys. It was great. I had fun. Um, and all the best in the, the hockey league. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Can't wait to watch Canada's ultimate yeah. challenge. Well, there you go, folks. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. As always, we are coming at you Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And if you are a fan of the podcast and you want to support the podcast, there's a number of ways you can do that. First of all, you can leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. We love reading them. You can simply rate the podcast on the Spotify mobile app, if that's where you're listening. Or if you want to join the conversation, hop on over to our Discord. The link is in the show notes of this episode. And uh, we have a lovely little community over there of sickos and non-sickos all hanging out, chatting. And uh, hey, you could even help produce the podcast over there if you want. You can, again, find that link in the show notes below. Sick Boy Podcast is produced and co-hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, and Brian Stever. The show is managed by Jeffrey Lonis over at Talent Bureau. The sound design of this episode is brought to you by Donovan the CPAP Morgan. And of course, the theme music is from the band Take Part. That is it for this week. I'm Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.